This is a very special episode. We are at 500 episodes. Can you believe it? 500. Wow, it just blows my mind. Blows my mind. And today to celebrate, I'm bringing on the most requested guest, my beautiful husband, Nick Broadhurst, and we are going to be answering your burning questions. Now, this is part one of a two-part series because there were so many questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So let's dive in to celebrate 500 episodes. Thank you for being here. I am so grateful to every single one of you that has listened to this show multiple times, or even if you've just listened once, I am so grateful. And for everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you haven't, please go and do that right now. That would mean so much to me if you just took a few minutes to do that. If you haven't already done it, please go and rate and review the show right now. So let's dive in. Let's bring on Nick Broadhurst and celebrate five Hundred episodes. Woo! Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Can you believe that this is episode 500? I can believe it because you're pretty prolific. Thanks, babe. But like, who would have thought that when I started this podcast, it would be here, 500 episodes in, we have had so many incredible guests, some of my biggest mentors and inspirations, and 23 million downloads. Like, what? No, it's so cool because when we first started this, 2017, I think, February 25th, 2017. Well, you we have a really good memory. I don't know why that How date. did you get the 25th? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But, um, when we first started it, we just felt like it was going to be a great way to connect with your audience and to deliver some of the stuff you've learned along the way and connect with your friends and colleagues. Yeah, but it's obviously grown and to have had you know, Esther Perel recently and people like Jay Shetty and who are some Wim of the Hoff, biggest ones? Wim Hof, Glennon Doyle, Erin Brockovich. So many incredible. Marianne Williamson, Neil Donald Walsh. Gabby Bernstein, Marie Folio, Jenna Kutcher, like all these incredible human beings. John Gray. But you know what, what though? Yeah, John Gray, far out. So good. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is that I find with podcasts, it's not always the famous people who are going to give you the best episode. It may be someone that people have never heard of. Well, not the best episode, like what resonates, resonates. most. Yeah, and... It's been interesting to see that with your podcast that often it may be someone who doesn't have a big following or, you know, doesn't have bestsellers, but they're doing amazing, amazing stuff, awesome content, and it deeply resonates. That's always been really nice to see as well. Yes, yeah, so interesting and so exciting that this is episode 500. And to celebrate, we thought we'd do something very special and bring back on Nick Broadhurst, if you hadn't already noticed, to celebrate. 
this very special occasion. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to diving in. So we opened up the questions to you guys, and we have so many awesome questions on relationships, health, parenting, career, purpose, birth, money, so many things. And we will do our best to get through as many as we possibly can. But I thought it would be really fun to not look at these questions before this moment. So Nick and I have not seen any of these questions. And I thought that would be really fun to really get an answer genuinely in the moment. Sponto. Sponto. (laughs) If you don't know, that is short for spontaneous. Do you know Australians shorten everything? Yeah, we do. I like Sponto. It's great. So let's kick off with some relationship questions because we got a ton of these. It's a great place to start because we are in a relationship and we are in relationships with so many people, friends, family, work colleagues, and relationships are such a huge part of our life. And I truly believe that they are foundational to our happiness. If our relationships aren't thriving, then it can really feel like your life is falling apart. 100%, especially if you're intimate relationship with your special one or ones, depending on your views. I know for me, like when we are not fully in alignment, I can't even think about anything else. Like I can't focus, like I need to clear it with you so that I can move forward. So it really does affect all areas of your life. So you're saying you basically just can't think of anything ever because we're often out of alignment. (laughs) That is so not true. Well, I'm not out of alignment, but I think in relationships, a lot of the time there can be just little things going on. Yeah, but this is where you practice crystal clear communication. What are you talking about? I feel like we are thriving right now. No, we are. We are. (laughs) Am I missing something? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Reverse. Take it back. I take it back. (laughs) Delete, delete, delete. Delete, delete. Cancel, cancel, cancel. I've got the first question for you. Go for it. How do you keep and maintain a healthy sex life? Mm, This is so interesting because it has definitely shifted for me since having Bambi. I don't know. Has it shifted for you at all? Or no, still the same? I think probably more so. What do you mean more so? Shifted? Um, Like how? I just feel like at the moment my attraction to you is kind of, other than maybe when we first met, it feels very high. Oh, that's great. Thanks. Nine years, <laughs> got past that seven-year each. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, well, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. For me, definitely since having Bambi, it's shifted. And I think it's just hormones, but it is still very important. Healthy sex life is so important. And for us, it's about crystal clear communication. Practicing that and sharing where we're at is so important. For us, we we don't really schedule it in, but we we say, you know, let's have time together tonight or let's have time together in the morning. And we know what that means. And so I think maintaining a healthy sex life is very important. And with our full schedules, you need to make time for it. And yes, you can also be spontaneous and, you know, have some afternoon delicious lovemaking time. And with kids and careers, it needs to be scheduled. So how do we keep and maintain a healthy sex life? We prioritize it, we schedule it in, and we practice crystal clear communication about both of our needs and desires and whenever they shift. 
Yeah, and don't get COVID because that really kills your sex life. <laughs> Definitely. Gosh, we had COVID. Well, Bambi got it on Christmas Day for two days, then Melissa got it, and then the next day I got it. And we have avoided it for three years. That was rough. It was. The, the, hardest, the hardest part of COVID for me personally was the mental aspect. Like, obviously, there was three days that were pretty unpleasant, but after that, the I was depressed, like flat out depressed for about a week maybe. Pretty unpleasant. Yeah, not many people have been speaking about the mental effects of COVID, and I think it's really important. Well, I'm glad I knew that. Like, literally every one of our friends said they were depressed. Thank God I knew that because I, I was like, what is going on? Well, we have a group chat with all of our friends, and when I told them that we had COVID, you know, one of them said, just be mindful that, you know, we had, it really affected our mental health. and. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And then a day in, I was like, whoa, yeah, I understand what they mean now. So if it does affect your mental health, know that this too shall pass. Soon you will be back to your beautiful, vibrant, healthy, thriving self. Yeah, and just last point on the healthy sex life would be, we sort of know what our minimum is, like a weekly minimum to be able to, for me, it's not to have a cranky wife pretty much. (laughs) But I mean, true, like, if we don't sort of hit that minimum, we just get a bit off. It's true. We get a bit niggly at each other. We get niggly. Mm. I think also a healthy sex life starts with you because if you look after yourself and if you feel good within your body and you feel happy and you feel healthy within your body, then you're going to be more inclined to want to make love with your partner. But if you feel crappy within yourself, you don't feel good in your body or confident within your body, then yeah, it's that's not conducive to making love. So start with you. I agree. That's question one out of 2,072 to go. <laughs> um, how do you balance your masculine and feminine energies together? That's a really good question. So, uh, Do you want to balance them together? I think it's just about awareness. Is this question about balancing your masculine and feminine energies together as in like, those two energies together in one person? I'm not sure. I'm well, not. We'll, we'll take it as how do we, you and I balance masculine and feminine or how do we maintain the polarity? Why don't we talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about how do we maintain the polarity between us. Yeah, because I literally had a conversation about this this morning with a good friend of mine. Oh, you did? I did. Can you share it? Well, you know, things just, especially domesticity, like things can get in the way of that polarity, especially when feminine can start taking on masculine roles and the masculine has to be very aware of that because that's one of the fastest ways to to switch off a libido is for the feminine to start taking on the masculine role Mm. in the house so when that happens it's fine like feminine can do more masculine things of course but then there's got to be ways to bring that back into balance and the masculine has to be aware of that so that could be simply getting to bed and the you know, I'm talking about a hetero male-female relationship here because that's that's our relationship. That's what I know. But it can work in same sex. But then just touch, tickle, massage can really soften and, and nurture that feminine. Or just running your partner a bath or any any of these sort of soft things that are sort of acts of service or or touch can really be powerful, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think for us to keep that polarity and to keep that beautiful dance between the masculine and feminine, it's 
about uh, me noticing and becoming aware of when I'm too much in my masculine and feel out of balance. And that is my responsibility to come back into my feminine. I just got home from an African dance class and I feel so sexy, so feminine and so in my body and so lit up and so happy. So it's my responsibility to do those things that make me feel soft and feminine and beautiful and goddessy and to become aware of when I am sliding too much on the masculine side and also to become aware of what is eroding Nick being in his masculine, like nagging him. (laughs) That's a pretty fast way. And what John Gray says is home improving him. So that's a really quick way to pull your man out of his power. And the, obviously the, the opposite of that, the polarity to that is for the masculine to listen to the feminine, to really listen and shut up, don't interject, just listen. Even if you're getting criticized, just listen. That's all they really, really want most of the time, according to John Gray. And I can say that in our relationship, that's definitely been very, very true. 1,000%. On a scale of 1 to 10, how do you rate yourself right now as a listener? I would say about 7, but that changes because you can be a 7 across the board, but maybe like last night I was probably like a 9. Yeah, you were amazing last night. Thank you, babe. Yeah, and sometimes you just need to. Like I knew last night, Melissa got into bed and there was a bit of emotion, a few little tears. And I was like, right, shut up and listen. (laughs) Yeah, you were amazing. Thank you. And not to offer solutions, gentlemen, or... Or women even don't offer solutions because that just drives Melissa nuts. I'm sure it's the same for most women when the man just tries to constantly fix the problem. Yeah, John Gray calls it uh, Mr. Fix It. Mr. Fix It and the Home Improver. So, women, stop being the Home Improvers and men, stop being Mr. Fix It. Okay, next question How do you deal with someone in a relationship who is sensitive? Well, while we're on the topic of John Gray, I feel like it's relevant to say, I mean, that's not a huge amount of context in that question. Sensitive is a very broad term, but it just, to me, probably says snappy, a bit grouchy, naggy, something like that. To me, I just think that screams that needs aren't being met, really. So to the person who wrote in that question, I would say read men are from Mars and women are from Venus and make sure that both needs are getting met because I know before we did that, we were both so sensitive. We're just like, me, 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 it's constantly. And listen to my episode with John. I've got two with him and they are incredible. One of the beautiful things about being in a partnership is you get to support each other's needs. And that isn't about relying on the other person to fill a void within you. We both have needs and something that I'm asking myself often is how can I help Nick get his needs met? And I want to ask myself that more. I want to remember to ask myself that more because that's one of the beautiful things about being in a partnership is I can help you get your needs met. And whether that's emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, all of the things. But Let's take the attention off ourselves and help someone else, be of service to someone else. And think about this with Bambi as well. Like 
can I help? What, what does she need right now? And how can I help her get her needs met? Take the attention off you and onto someone else and of being of service and being of service to that person. Yeah. So how to deal with someone who's sensitive in a relationship would be, well, don't deal with them, just deal with yourself and see how that may change because you can only change yourself. And ask them, what needs do they need to be met right now? Cool. So how do you overcome an issue when you don't see eye to eye on a topic? Now, can we think of an example for us personally that we don't see eye to eye on? Maybe the new pants that I bought? (laughs) Guys, he bought these genie in a bottle. (laughs) It's actually an amazing, beautiful brand. It It is is amazing. It is a beautiful brand, but like he was like, I want to branch out. I want to get some new clothes. I want to like mix up my vibe. And so he gets these genie in a bottle. They're like dusty pink. They're so huge with a jawstring. You could fit three of me in them. I don't know what the story is. They kind they do look cool for sure, but oh, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. And then he bought shorts in them that have like frayed edge. Yeah, but I'm going to cut the fray off. Okay, whatever. Anyway, he tries these on and I'm just like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. No, but that's that's a small thing. A small example. What's a bigger example where we don't see eye to eye? I'm sure there's many. But I can't even think. It's not something we have a lot of <laughs> skill with, actually, because we do agree on them. I mean, we may not see eye to eye in the moment during like a bit of an argument or something. Of course, that's what arguments are about. But on a topic like a core value, there's a lot of alignment there. So We are super aligned in so many areas, and I'm so grateful for that. And I have many friends who aren't super aligned with their partner, you know, on things about health or parenting or things like that. And it causes them a lot of friction and a lot of stress. So I am so grateful that we are so aligned in many, many areas of our life. Well, I think read Melissa's book, Open Wide, because there's a lot on that. And also Crystal Clear Communication, that would be a very good book on relationships to check. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Like, how do we overcome these issues? Like, we practice crystal clear communication. And this is something that's really important is since having Bambi, we can't just stop what we're doing and have that crystal clear communication conversation then and there, which we did pre-Bambi. And so it's about circling back, which actually has so many pros. Let me explain. Because you can circle back once Bambi's in bed about a conversation that we had earlier, it actually allows you to cool off and diffuse some of the fire. So then when you circle back around to that conversation, the heat is gone, the fire is gone, and you can actually have a more conscious conversation, which is really a beautiful thing. So if there is something that you don't see eye to eye on and you can't necessarily have a conversation then and there, circle back on it practice crystal clear communication with that person and get some, not closure, get some action steps. You know, you and I always are like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do from this conversation. We always have action steps to move forward. I think that's really important. Like you want to, I personally love closure and then to move forward. I hate open loops. I hate open tabs and things left open. So 
I'm always saying to Nick, okay, let's full stop this because I like that full stop. That's just my personality. So have a conversation and then full stop it, resolve it, get some action steps and move forward. Yep. I'm with you on that. Uh, How to manage couples' time with a newborn? You know, we are still managing this every day. It's really important. So what we do is it's different to newborn stages. Newborn stages, like for the newborn stage, we were just all in it together. Did we have much couples' time? No, because it was just the first three months, it was very much, yeah, we were just in each other's space the whole time pretty much so we're just in such a love bubble yeah i mean it definitely it definitely becomes way more possible once you get and if this is your your choice of parenting like for us we had bambi at about four months started going into more of a um yeah just more of a rhythm in the day so we sort of everything was more predictable and with predictability meant that we could make plans and it's like far out we haven't connected for a week what are we doing that's have some time today at lunch or in the morning or at dinner because we know Bambi is going to be asleep from seven till seven every night. And that wasn't the case till when was that? 11 months. Yeah, when we yeah. night weaned. Yeah, so 11 and a half months. So we know we've got that time at night and in the morning. I can get to the gym, she can go to Pilates class. But like in the mornings, we often do have half an hour or a bit together before we go off and do our separate things. Um, so I think that rhythm is extremely helpful. I mean, personally, I can't imagine, and this is no judgment on attachment parenting, I can't imagine doing it because without some sort of rhythm, I just don't know how I could make plans for anything. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I think scheduling it into your calendar. So we have a joint calendar. I can see Nick's calendar, he can see my calendar, and then we have a joint calendar. So we schedule in time. We have only just gotten back into having one date every week. And that's usually when Nick's mum will come up when Bambi is having her day sleep and uh, she'll go to sleep. Nick's mum will come, we'll go out to lunch and then come back when she wakes up. And so scheduling it into our calendar has been really powerful because if it doesn't get scheduled, it won't happen. And yeah, this is how you manage the time. This is how you create the space. Make it a priority. And for us, it is a priority. And it doesn't mean going out for long dinners or things like that. It's just a lunch where we don't have our phone on and we just sit, we just chat. And we always get so much clarity. Mm. Whenever we go out to lunch and we have a date, we get so much clarity on whatever it is that we need clarity on, whether Mm. it's something to do with business or personal And we'll usually go out to lunch with the intention of getting clarity around something or resolving something. It's true. And it always works. So create the space and lock it into your calendars because if it's not in there, it won't happen. Okay. How did you cope when Nick dealt with his depression a few years back? Now, that's an interesting question because I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Did I have depression? Yeah. Obviously, I've spoken about it publicly, so... You know, it's out there and people remember that. And But I, for me, it's such a thing of the past and it's sort of hard to remember. Melissa was very supportive um, and she did, I guess, bite her tongue a lot when I was being nasty. Um, but of course, she had her moments where she was pretty nasty back. But um, overall, she was very solid, but it was challenging. It, it was, was really hard. It was definitely challenging. 
really challenging to watch someone that you love so much go through that and not be able to do anything. And I would, you know, occasionally offer support or uh, like verbally offer advice and he wasn't open to receiving it. So I just held space for him and kept on loving him. And the thing is like, I'm in this for life and there was no other alternative. Like I'm in this. And there was many times where I slept on the couch and thought, how on earth am I going to move through this? And you've done the same, like when I've been through challenging times, I'm sure. But when someone is going through depression or anything challenging, they don't need other people telling them, do this, stop doing that. They need people to see them, to hear them, to love them, to hold them, to support them. And I know for me, I try and be that person whenever there's a friend in need and I will often say to them, would you like my feedback? And they might say yes or they might say no. But just remember that anyone who's going through something challenging, they need your love and support more than ever. And what I did personally was I got my own therapy sessions. So I would have someone to support me. And that's really important. I was supporting and holding space for Nick. And then I had someone holding space and supporting me because it was very, very challenging. And that's super important. Whether that's a friend, a therapist, counselor, whatever, it's very important that you express to someone else how this is feeling for you because you're in this as well. Yeah. And to give some context, it didn't sort of come out of nowhere. I mean, all experiences that happen to us are obviously spiritual experiences because we are spiritual beings and everything that happens is happening for us. So we can learn and we can grow. And in that instant, it was actually more diet related, actually. I was experimenting with the keto diet. And um, often you can sort of double down on things when you should have given up on them a lot earlier, a lot sooner. And you I'd, had serious gut imbalance. Only because of keto. Yeah. You had full gut dysbiosis, which was, you know, the gut and the brain are so connected. That was the main reason why you were depressed. You did an episode on it. Yeah. Let's link to it in the show notes so people can hear the whole story. Yeah, it's very interesting. So I won't tell the whole story here, but go and check that episode out. Okay, next question. How do you deal with conflict that seems unresolvable without giving up on each other and the relationship? Hmm. Look, I've had a couple of moments in our relationship where I'm like, oh, you know, where I've actually questioned the relationship. And that's moments where in both cases, we weren't meeting each other's needs. And we got into a bit of a vicious cycle and these bad habits towards each other. I would say again, (laughs) okay, why is there conflict? Because is it just that you've got un fulfilled needs. It could be that. And I don't want to simplify everything down to just that one thing. But I think that's where you start. I think you got to start there because for us, it did seem a bit unsolvable at the time. But when we did understand truly what our needs were for each other and for ourselves, kind of turned around overnight. Just a bit of a magic bullet, actually. So 
yeah, I don't want to sound repetitive, but I actually would suggest <laughs> checking out that book by John Gray and really diving into the content together as a couple, which is what we did. Read it together, discussed it together. And just to give a little bit more, go a little bit gran- more granular here, we literally would read a chapter together. So he read it on his Kindle, I read it in hard copy. We would read a chapter. And then we would discuss that chapter together and implement everything that John spoke about. And we did this whilst I was pregnant, and it was an absolute game changer for our relationship. Our relationship was like, like probably at like a five out of 10. And then when we did that, it was a 10 out of 10. It was just amazing. Five generous, I'd say. well i think during the conception journey we were probably more like a two yeah it was it was a lot it was very stressful and but lots of lessons learned which is good so many lessons what are three things each of you are proud of i'll go first i've got two things i'm very proud of bambi and leo of course such beautiful humans um Other than that, I think I'm quite proud of myself actually this year because I felt a very strong energetic shift towards any resistance I may have had creatively. And it might seem weird weird hearing that because you would have seen I've been releasing music and I am getting things out in the world. But like anyone, I do have (laughs) voices that tell me stupid things. You have a mean boy. Bad boy. Do you? What's his name? Billy. Billy. Right. You need to read a really good book called Mastering Your Mean Girl. Bashing the bad boy. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah, but I think uh, this year's been interesting because I was like, right, no more screwing around. Like I'm I'm going deep, 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 deep into this space. And um, it feels amazing. And I just feel like I've turned a corner that I'll never ever turn back on. It just feels so inevitable now that my life is really mostly dedicated professionally to music. And there's still elements of me that's still involved in Melissa's business. But we do have a new uh, business partner and CEO, one of our closest, closest friends in the world, Christopher Faye, which is super exciting. But we do have a new team in Melissa's business, which is super exciting um, because it allows me to basically step away. Um, but I'm still involved. I'm still creating stuff. I'm still there, but I've got so much more time and, um, that feels really freaking amazing. So they're my three things for now. Darling, how about you? Beautiful. I love those. Definitely Bambi is something I am so proud of. And I love the way that I mother and becoming a mother has just changed me in every area of my life. And I look at her, she is my legacy. Like I look at her and I'm like, you are such a light. You are such a beautiful, kind, funny human being. And I'm so proud of that. I'm proud of our relationship and where it is right now. I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud that, you know, we're hitting nine years. And I'm just so proud that we both continue to show up do the work individually and do the work on our relationship because there are three entities in a relationship. There's me, there's Nick, and then there's us. And 
then there's Bambi now as well. So that's an extra one. And the way that we continue to show up, I'm really proud of that. And I am proud of Leo and I'm proud of... Yeah, because he actually did extremely well on his exams. So he, so he did a year of an accelerated mathematics program. So he's finished his maths. He's a year ahead in maths. And he crushed it. <laughs> he's amazing. And he, he's just a good person. He's a really good human being. He is so intelligent. He is so kind. He is the best big brother to Bambi. He loves her so much. It's actually so incredibly sweet seeing them together. It's really beautiful. So I'm proud of him. And I'm proud of all of the work that I have put out into the world, all my books, my podcasts, my events, my programs, my meditations, Holy Mama, the Holy Mama Journal, all of these things I'm so proud of. Awesome. I was just having a little sip. wasn't quite ready for that. Um, any annoying habits? <laughs> so many. Well. Can I out. go first? Where do we start? Yeah. Yeah, so many. So this is annoying habits that you do to me. Right. Okay. So the first one is, I guess, just leaving things around the house. Come on. I'm going to just interject. Like for her, leaving something around, <laughs> which is rare, would be like, what's an example? Just stuff. Like what? Like just stuff. I don't know, like those boxes over there on the floor in the office. Yeah, because I've got to return a keyboard. Okay. So like there's just stuff around. I'm so neat. It's not funny. All right. You are very, very neat. That's probably the only annoying habit that I can think of at the top of my head. Well, speaking of neatness, because you reckon you're neater than me, but when we do the kitchen at night, if you ever do it, I look at it, I'm like, that's not done properly. <laughs> okay, like, no, I'll give you that. Like, I don't do it. I'm as, yeah, way better. At you that. are. He like wipes down everything. Like, cleans the stove. It's amazing. But you, you don't even get like the bits in the sink out. No, I just leave it. <laughs> Gonna compost that stuff, babe. You I'll get I'm, it in the morning. Yeah, but cockroaches. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, I will work on that. Hey. All right. What annoys me? Here we go. Get out the <laughs> scroll. <laughs> get your pens out. Maybe you should get your pen out. Yeah. All right. Um, middle of the night, like wake ups for chats. Okay. Does anyone else do this? If something is on my mind and it's bothering me. Talk to me in the morning. <laughs> does anyone else do this to their partner? Let me know in DMs. I want to know. Like, if am you, I if alone? You do, if you do, just stop. Just stop. Yeah, but like we have things to express. Yeah, but. The feminine, I, in my experience with you anyway, is that the feminine, well, no, I'll just speak to you, Melissa, you find it very hard to compartmentalize and park, like park it. I just say to her, park it. Just put it to the side on the other side of the pillow until tomorrow because you can't solve it tonight. This is true. So I'd say that's definitely one. It's the middle of the night, wake ups for chats. Yeah, what else, babes? Oh, gosh. Um, what else? Jeez. Uh... There's been a bit of home improvement. What do you call it? Home improving lately. Okay, I'll work on that. And that's um, for me, and I imagine many men, there's actually nothing more annoying. Yeah, I know. No one wants to be mothered. I know. I know. I'll work like, on it, babes. An example of that would be last night in the bath, Bambi slipped. 
Oh my gosh. Straight under. One of the worst things about that is like, she's underwater. So I was in the bath. I do the bath with her every night. I'm at one end. She went down the other end to get something. And when she was down there, she slipped. So she was away from my hands. And she's like underwater looking back at me. Don't even. With the little eyes Don't. open. I can't even. And then, of course, swallowed heaps of water and was choking. And She was coughing, not choking. Of, well, uh, uh, sounded pretty choky. And she was just like coughing it up. And then Melissa later's like, you really, I don't know what you said, but like I you, said, you really need to watch her in the bath. And I'm like, do you think I'm not? Like, seriously, I've got I a 17 year old son. It, I've been through it. I just needed to say it. And I'm like, do you think that I like want her to drown? No, but you know what? Okay. Let's just back up for a second. Being a team as parents is so important. And I feel like we are a really good team. Yeah. Most of the time. And as I said that to you, I realized that that, I probably shouldn't have said that. And I realized that that is putting you down to a degree. Where was it coming from though? Because like, you, you know, that when you said it, it probably wasn't serving the relationship and it was totally unnecessary. So where does it come from? I don't know. But like, you do want to, do you want to just be right or something or? No, it's more like wanting to protect her. From her dad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think it was just, it was coming from that protective place. But it's so important that as parents, we are a team and that we're on the same team and that we praise each other. And I do, like, I am very conscious and I can do this more. I could actually do this a lot more. Telling you how amazing you are as a dad. And I do tell you a lot. And you do tell me too. But I feel like we could both do it more. I think a lot might be a stretch. Oh, me telling you. Hmm. I tell you you're an amazing dad. You've told me that. <laughs> You've told me for sure. You are an amazing dad. Thanks, I know. You are amazing. So why don't we both work on like telling each other at least one thing a day? Okay, I'll tell you something right now. Because it can become like tit for tat in parenting, in relationships is the quickest way. It's the free way to unhappy land. I'm going to give you a compliment. Are you ready? Go for it. I think you look gorgeous at the moment. No, this is about parenting, but thank Don't you. Care. I'm just giving you a compliment. Thank you so much. And relating to the previous question, very attracted to you. Thank you, babe. So you must be doing something right because when you nag me, I'm not. <laughs> You're not what? <laughs> attracted. Although I, that can turn around pretty quickly. But what about a parenting thing? Well, I just think you're an amazing mother. Thank you. Full stop. You're incredible. Like everything you do is amazing. Thank you, babe. I can't, I can't fault it. I mean, well, not fault, but I would say, ah, this is a parent thing. You could stress less. <laughs> <laughs> not stress less. It's more like when you're away from her, you might get into bed and think about things for too long. Yes. Yeah, so like if something happened that day, like where she hurt herself and then I get into bed and I'm like, ah. Oh. You could have done this differently. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Just let it come and go and pass through. That's never. This has never happened to me before. Well, I've never been a mum before, but I get it now. But I am working on that. Thank you for the compliment. I think you are an incredible dad. You are so present. You are so playful. You are amazing. I love the way you parent her. Thanks, babe. All right. Advice for a couple where the husband doesn't believe in the woo-woo spirituality. Well, first of all, just don't like that word woo-woo because mm. it sort of plays down the very essence of what we're here to be, which is spiritual beings actually not to be we are spiritual beings having a human experience we are so everything is 
spiritual. So just first of all, tell them, dude, like whether you like it or not, you're a spiritual being. So let's just get on the same page here and have a journey. But the problem is that sometimes people just may not be interested in personal development, spirituality. It just may never happen in this lifetime, ever. Not, not saying it can't happen, but it just may not. Core values, karma, all that sort of stuff. So what do you do if they don't believe in it? I mean, not believing in it? Surely, okay, not interested is one thing, but not believing in spirituality? No, but people don't, babe. People don't believe in it. But I'm at a loss because I'm just like, I get it. It's just so far from my experience. I just don't know how to actually relate to that. But I mean, if this is a core value of yours and not of his, that's cool. How many other you know, points of unity do you have in your relationship? Are there so many other points of, of unity that the relationship still works really well? Because we know plenty of relationships that do where one partner is not interested in spirituality. Totally. Or health. It, but it could be health. That's tricky because you've got this day-to-day, like, you're eating burgers, I'm eating green smoothies. Like, it's that's very tricky. Oh, mm. the kids, I want the kids to have lollies. Let them live. No, I don't want them to have red coloring. You know, like, that can be a really big drain on a relationship. So it depends. How many points of unity do you actually have in the first place? And if this is one where you're just a bit off with each other, well, you still may be super attracted to each other, have fun, and maybe you just acknowledge that you've got your own spiritual practice. He likes to play rugby or whatever it is. That's cool. Like, you're not going to play rugby. Maybe. Maybe you will. Do you understand? Like, you just... You can acknowledge it. It's about respect and practicing crystal clear communication. And I think having differences is awesome because it brings color and shade into your relationship. And there still needs to be that respect for the other person's passions or interests and crystal clear communication about what lights you up. I think it's really important. And that's a very good point. If he's like, babe, no offense, I think of all the stuff you do with crystals and meditation and chakras is just crazy. But I respect it and, you know, you're a sovereign being, go and do your thing. Yeah, great. If you respect it, but if he's like, Putting you down. Yeah, if he's really disrespecting you, that's a totally different thing. If you lose respect in a relationship, my gosh, you have very little left, mm-hmm. if anything. Respect is such a key pillar in a healthy, thriving relationship. I remember on our wedding day, I had women come up to me, and this was part of our ceremony. I had women come up to me and whisper. I picked seven women whose relationships I admired and respected come up to me and whisper into my ear the keys to a thriving marriage. And one of them was respect. And it's really important that we respect each other's differences, respect each other. Because as soon as that starts to erode, then you got nothing. I think that was my mum, wasn't it? Yeah, your mum said that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next question, how did you both adapt to each other's life? That's a very interesting question. We slot into each other's life very effortlessly. How did you? So it sounds like beginning yeah, the, the very start. That's what I mean. Yeah, we, no, we slot did. into each other's life very easily, very effortlessly. It was like it just fit. 
it was perfect, com- it was complimentary. Yeah, a perfect puzzle piece that just slot into place perfectly. I think the first night I slept over, I never left. And it's true. It just fit and flowed and worked and it has. What's the longest we've been apart actually? Maybe like 10 days? No, I maybe 2 weeks one time when you went to LA. Oh yeah. And Mexico. Yeah, that's true. Maybe 2 weeks? Or maybe three weeks. Yeah. I think three weeks. Yeah, this is a pretty decent chunk. Anyway, coming back to how to adapt to each other's life. I've had friends that have got with partners later on in life, and this has been an area of friction for them because my girlfriend, very set in her ways, had her own house, and then her partner moved into her home. And she was supporting him financially. And the way that they kind of merged lives was rocky because she was very set in her ways, in her own house, in her flow, living on her own, doing her own thing, all of her own routines and rituals. And so she had to really surrender and let go and release all of these ideas of how she wanted this to work. And I think. When we are merging lives with someone else, you're creating something new and we have to let go of how it used to be and all of our old ideals and expectations because what you're creating together is really something beautiful and special. And I moved into Nick's place when we first got together and yeah, that, that felt yeah like I was moving into his home. So it still felt like it was your place. Even though it it was my place, it still it still felt like it was more your place. Actually, no, it didn't. It it just felt really different when we got our own place together, and that was really special. So I don't know if there's something you can do where you do a cleansing ritual around your home, sage the house, uh, do a little ceremony um, when you merge lives together, or move homes and create a new space together. And if you have an expectation that things will be the same, then you're just going to be disappointed, right? Because that's unrealistic. It's going to have to be different when you have someone else in your space. Or even if it's just not your space, but in your life, you may not be living together, but you might be together together. And now you've got two lives that are sort of merging and it's going to change, right? So that's the first thing. Don't be unrealistic with your expectations around it because that's always going to lead to disappointment. And um, and just communicate. Just be really clear with your communication. On if something's not flowing, not working for you, just speak up. Like I know one of Melissa's new team members said, "This is how I like to be spoken to if there's conflict." Like literally step by step. <laughs> it's like cool. Know exactly what to do if there's conflict. And that was cool. I thought. Mm, definitely. And just remember that expectations ruin relationships. Certainly do. Okay, how to balance time alone to nurture yourself but also still grow as a partnership? This is really important because when you live with your partner, when you are intertwined with your life, maybe even businesses, the lines can get blurred, but it is essential that you have time alone to fill yourself up, to take care of yourself. 
especially even more so if you have children. And I know since having Bambi, this has really shifted for me and it's been highlighted just how important this is. So again, we schedule it into our calendar. I have my things that I do. He has his things that he does. And then we have time as a couple to go on dates and to deepen our relationship and our connection because we both work from home. So we're, we're in each other's space, you know, most of the days. We have our own separate offices, but, you know, we're still having lunch together and, you know, we're seeing each other. But it's very important that we schedule in time alone. Like Nick went for a walk this morning with a friend. I did yoga at home by myself. So what we usually do is we'll wake up in the morning and we'll have some time together. And even if that's just cuddling and having a chat um, or connecting deeply, and then we'll go off and do our own thing. And because Bambi sleeps till seven, we wake up at sometimes 4.30. We have from 4.30 till seven to connect and to do our own thing, which is so important. So I'll meditate, I'll move my body, I might go to Pilates, I might go for a walk, I'll do yoga or work out at home. It's very important that you schedule in that time for you and for your partnership. And often like if things are feeling off between Nick and I, whether that's sexually or emotionally, we always seek support. So like we might go and do a Tantra course or we'll get one of our mentors to have a session with us. So whenever we notice our relationships starting to kind of go south, we act really quickly and we pivot. We do something like what I just said. I think that's really important because I am so deeply committed to my partnership and I want it to continue to grow like a plant. You got to water it to grow. I don't want it to get stale. I don't want it to die. So in order for that, I have to continue to water the relationship, work on myself, read the relationship books, listen to the relationship podcasts, see the mentors, do the tantra course, whatever it is. Because if you don't work on your partnership, it will just fade away and die. Yeah. And just again, this comes to respect, like you got to respect that your partner has certain things that fill them up. Whether for, for me, it's working out, surfing, having time doing music, spending time at the beach with Melissa and Bambi and Leo. Like there's things that fill me up, spending time with friends and not doing tit for tat as well. Well, you worked out, so, you know, you just got to come up with a, with a rhythm together that works. Like I haven't worked out today, so I'm sort of in the back of my mind, I'm sitting here and there is a bit of like, oh, I haven't worked out because that's how I fill my cup as well. One of the ways I fill my cup makes me feel strong and vital and awesome. So yeah, again, respect, respect each other's need for their own time because we're still sovereign beings. Mm -hmm. We still have to fill ourselves up. Absolutely. In fact, we, we had this conversation literally, I think it was last night. And I said, babe, you just have not been filling yourself up enough. Mm, I think, you know, I was the queen of self-care, the queen of self-love before Bambi came along. And it's just, for me, it's just slipped down my list a little bit. However, I do still do it, but I just need to do it more. I need to do it more. That's why I went and did an African dance class today, which was so good. So good. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to switch gears now into health questions. 
Oh, I love health questions. And we're going to rapid fire these because there's a lot. There is a lot. And just a reminder that we have not seen any of these. So this is fun. This is exciting. Are you still doing intermittent fasting? Okay. So let's talk about intermittent fasting because it's all the rage and for very good reason because, well, it's a bit controversial. I won't go into the full science of it. But I believe the most important thing is that everyone is at least giving themselves 12 hours without eating. Overnight. That's your minimum. That's your baseline. You finish eating at 5.30 in the morning, don't eat anything until at least. You finish eating at 5.30 in the morning? (laughs) 5.30 p.m., sorry. Well, let's say 6 p.m. to make it easy. You don't eat anything until at least 6 p.m. 6 a.m., gosh. So 6 till 6 or 7 till 7, whatever time you eat. Right, so that's 12 hours. That would be the minimum, right? Now, that's a, that's a good fast. You know, it's not going to push anything too hard. You're not going to, you know, stir up too much stuff by doing that. For us, we're sort of quarter past five in the afternoon. We finish and we eat. No, we finish at 5.30. Okay, 5.30. And we eat at, say, 7.30. So that's 14 hours. That works well for us. And we're going from... 7.30 to 5.30, which is how many hours, darling? 10 hours. So we have a 10-hour eating window. Now, the most popular intermittent fasting ratio would be 16 hours to 8 hours eating window. So that's two hours longer for us. Personally, I, that just works for me. And if my body type, I'm a bit more vata and I do burn through energy a lot. That's bit of a creative brain, always thinking, you know, I'm quite lean. So I just, yeah, I can do it. Absolutely. And I used to skip breakfast on Mondays, um, but I often felt a bit weird doing it. So, and that comes down again to metabolic flexibility. So we all should be able to skip a meal and not have any issue. That's metabolic flexibility. So, and Melissa's the same. She goes 5.30 to about 7.30. So that's our version of it. And we talk about this in our upcoming book, actually. And the benefits of it and the, and the power of it. But also, it's not for everyone all the time. Like, if you're pregnant and you're breastfeeding, uh-uh, no intermittent fasting. Going to give you a little tip. For those who skip breakfast, small lunch, big dinner, it's actually been scientifically proven that's actually not the way to do it, especially for weight loss. You want to be, especially for sleep quality, because you're having more calories towards the end of the day going to disrupt your sleep. So there's a lot of studies now showing that for people who did intermittent fasting where they got the bulk of their calories early in the day compared to late in the day, had better health outcomes by doing it earlier in the day. And that goes very much in line with Ayurveda, right? Ayurveda always says that dinner should be very light. So if you are looking at playing with this, I'd actually encourage you to go the other way. And you don't have to skip dinner, but maybe dinner's much smaller. And it's amazing, actually, how much better you sleep. Because I track all my sleep with my Oura Ring. And I came home from a business meeting the other night at 8 o'clock and had dinner and got straight into bed. And I had the worst night's sleep. It was awful. So there you go. Next question. What do you do when you're really down and have no energy left? Oh, it comes back to what we've spoken about before, just filling ourselves up, knowing what fills us up, doing those things. So for me, when I'm feeling flat, I 
turn to the things that light me up. Movement, nature, a conversation with a friend, uh, dancing. Those are some very easy, quick things that I can do straight away to instantly shift my energy and raise my vibration and increase my mood. What about you? What do you do? Well, there's two parts to this, no energy. First question would be, are you living a life that's aligned with your passions and your purpose? Because if you're not, you can really get drained pretty quickly. It's the first question. Secondly, are you filling yourself up, as Melissa said, doing things that actually do fill you up and, and just feel effortless? That's so important. Like going for a surf, I could be as flat as a tack. If I go for a surf, I will have so much energy during and after. But third, if you do all that already and you have no energy, then it's probably a good idea to get some testing done and figure out what's going on because there could be some adrenal stuff, there could be some mineral stuff, who knows? could be some parasite stuff. We've got episodes on all that on this show. So um, if you're looking at doing testing, we recommend go to melissaambrosina.com forward slash E, the egg, N for Nick, E-N. It'll take you to a website where you can order the big five tests by Dr. Stephen Cabral. That's what we do. We we just literally ordered them. We're doing them in about two weeks, actually. Yes, which is very exciting. So test and find out why you have no energy. Is it physical? Is it emotional, spiritual? It's really important to look at that stuff as well as filling yourself up at the same time. Okay, next question. What sort of sweets or chocolates do you eat as a vegan? I love this question. Easy one to answer. Because, so easy. Well, let, let's just say plant-based. We do eat vegan, technically, but there are things in our house that aren't vegan because we had them before we were. So I just it's a loaded term, vegan. Let's go plant-based. Oh, easy question. Loco loves? Yeah, loco love chocolate. Is the best. our favorite organic vegan chocolate. It is so good. So good. Yeah, and it's got adaptogens and mushrooms and all sorts of cool stuff in it. And then we make our own. So we'll make our own little chocolates and brownies and sweets and stuff. We used to make so many more desserts. What happened to that? Mm, I don't really crave them as much. No, nor do I actually. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're eating local loves all the time. <laughs> we are not. I haven't had one in like a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, it's about six days. Can you tell us your actual morning routine? That would be awesome. I have already done a whole episode on this. So we can link to mine. Give my overview. I'll we give can... you a snapshot. Yep. So I wake up at 4.30 a.m. and have a little cuddle with Nick, say what we're grateful for. I usually get up, brush my teeth, scrape my tongue, wash my face, go to the bathroom, meditate for 20 minutes, write in my Holy Mama journal, uh, do some other journaling if I need to. I always try and aim to read at least one page of my book in the morning um, because at night I fall asleep sometimes halfway through a page. So to progress through my books, I try and read one page in the morning and then I'll move my body. This morning I did yoga on my bedroom floor. I might go for a walk or go to Pilates or do a workout, like a 15 or 20 minute full body workout in my bedroom. And then I'll do some work before Bambi wakes up at seven. That is my morning routine. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I wake up at five o'clock and get out of bed 
and I will do my teeth, scrape my tongue, have a drink of water. Oh, yeah. We have lots of water. I forgot that. Yeah, I add some minerals from Cellcor in there, and then I will uh, meditate, and then depends on the day, but generally we'll have a cuddle, do the gratitude. If do that, a, we do that first. Do that first, yeah. But if it's a sexy day, then we'll make love. That's before he's done all of that. Yeah, and then I'll, no, I'll do my teeth and everything first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do your teeth first. And then I will head off to the gym because currently I used to do it at home, but we sold our place with the gym in it. So go to the gym. I'll do mobility work first, always. Do mobility work. For me, it's just really essential. I'm grateful that at 44, I'm still flexible and mobile and agile. I can't believe you're 44. Like when you just said that, I was like, no. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. You look amazing, babe. 44. Thanks, darling. You do. Thank you, baby. And then I'll do, at the moment, I'm just training calisthenics. So no weights because I figured, and this is important, in the gym, there's weights, there's machines, all, all these things. And you tend to be working with like numbers goals, like how much can I lift? How many reps can I do? How much can I shorten the, the break in between sets? All this sort of stuff, which is fine. But these exercises do shorten our muscles and make us tighter when we're doing the traditional way of doing bodybuilding, right? Calisthenics is very interesting because if you go, right, I want to be able to do a front lever or a planche, these sorts of things, handstand for 30 seconds without a wall, you've got to develop strength. So I'm actually working towards skills goals instead of you know, numbers and strength goals, if that makes sense. Um, then I'll come home and I'll wake Bambi up at seven o'clock. That's my role. Take her upstairs. And, and we have brekkie. Have and- brekkie. I sometimes come down and have a shower first because I like to, coming from the gym, I like to shower before I eat because it brings my nervous system back into parasympathetic because I don't like sitting down and being all revved up. And in Ayurveda, they say that you should always shower before you eat because it calms your nervous system. Okay. So COVID experience, please. There's two, a few questions on this. So what was our experience? What were our symptoms? We sort of spoke about it before, but to give you a quick bullet point rundown, Bambi got at Christmas day. She had a fever for two days up to about 39. Uh, We just let her ride it out and we didn't know it was COVID. Yeah, we just thought she had a fever because we were fine. Well, she's actually never had a fever, never had a runny nose. She's never had any sickness. In almost two years. And so we were totally unprepared. Like Christmas Day, what? (laughs) She's got a fever? Didn't have a thermometer. (laughs) You know, certainly didn't have any Panadol or anything like that. So uh, we came home. We we wouldn't have given her that anyway. No, we wouldn't. Unless it was. If it was threatening, yes. But we definitely believe (laughs) the reason your body gets a fever is it's trying to basically nuke something. It's trying to kill something. And if you bring the fever down, that thing stays in there. So if you see kids with lots of runny noses all the time, all these sorts of things, my curiosity says to me, I wonder if they've had Panadol. Has their body not been given the chance to actually deal with what they've got? Um, so you got to find your comfort level as to how high you would let a temperature go. I'm not even going to go there. That's a very personal thing. Um, and you've got to be responsible, of course. But she was high 38s. It was fine. And it was a challenging couple of days with her. And Mm. then once she got through it, Melissa then came down and I was like... With a fever. I No, it started with like my body aching at four o'clock that afternoon. I was like, oh, oh yeah, my body's aching. I know what's about to happen. Well, we didn't know it was COVID. So, 
you spent the night completely in, sweating the whole bed out in your bed. I, I went to a different room, not your bed. In our bed, I went to a different room because I just thought, oh, just in case I might catch something. And the morning she was worse, and I was like, let's do a COVID test. And first time you've ever tested, I've tested once before, mm-hmm. and straight away those two strong lines. I was like, whoa, it's like your pregnancy test, like you got COVID. And then about within two hours, I was out, smashed. And it was awful. Whole body aches. My head was pounding. Nick got a sore throat. I, I, really. No, you had like a, a tickle in your throat that you were constantly. It started, I was like, ooh, I've got a little, little something in my throat. And then boom, body aches, boom, fever, boom, headache. Oh, my head. But you know, the day before I put my neck out in the surf. So I spent like three days in bed with a wry neck and COVID. It was so awful. It was so challenging. And Bambi was fine by this point. And we have a nanny who comes. She's amazing. We love her so much. And we said to her, look, we've got COVID. Obviously, you don't have to come. And she was like, no, I want to be there to be there for Bambi and to support you. And I was like, okay, well, we'll wear masks. And she was like, no, I don't care. I'm not scared of it. And so she came. She spent the entire week with us, two yeah, weeks. Well, she's still with us. us. And she didn't get it. No, and her mum did, which is weird. But her mum had had it before. But anyway, yeah. she's like she's like a superhuman. That was amazing. She's so. amazing. So she was able to be there for Bambi whilst Nick and I were completely horizontal in bed. And it was the pits. So whole body aches. I completely would drench the whole bed every night. Nick didn't have the sweats. I had the sweats. Fever, headache. It was not fun. It was it was the most sick I think I've ever been. And it's pretty commonly accepted now that the virus most likely came from the lab in Wuhan, right? It feels so different to anything else I've ever had. Yeah, it definitely feels different. I don't want to go like full red-blue blue pill conspiracy here, but I'm just going to say it feels man-made. It 100% feels man-made. Yeah. It's like you got this invasion of freaking robots or something. It's so weird. And then, it, like we mentioned before, it really did affect both of our mental health. I cried. Uh, when did I cry? I can't During. Remember. During. Just like I felt so down, so down. And so Nick put us straight on this incredible protocol, vitamin C, zinc, all of these things. And we had intravenous drips. Nick got a Myers cocktail, but I wasn't able to get that because I'm breastfeeding. So I had a drip of fluids and electrolytes, which was amazing because the first day I barely drank anything or ate anything. And it was really good to get that into both of us. So I think that helped. I had to literally force water down your throat. Like you yeah. weren't drinking water. No. You're just disappearing. I know. It was not good. And I, yeah, I, I think you took a photo of me in bed. I did. And in fact, the weird thing as well is appetite. Let's talk about that because zero appetite. You don't want to eat. Well, we didn't want to eat. And our usual foods became so unappealing. Yeah, we just wanted fresh, like when we did want to eat again, we wanted frozen fresh, berries. Frozen, yeah, berries. frozen berries, cold and fresh, like so smoothies and salads. But we did a lot of smoothies and ice creams, like smoothie ice creams with frozen berries and banana. 
that was appealing, but like cooked food, oh, I just couldn't even handle it. We made, well, we used a um, gluten-free sprouted, fully sprouted Organic bread, bread yes. And that was helpful because it got some calories into us. But anyway, it was it was very unpleasant. The protocol that I did, I actually wrote this protocol at the beginning of COVID. Well, not beginning, maybe a year in. I wrote this protocol out based on heaps of different research I'd done. The best of the best put into one document. And it was so funny because we asked our friends for tips. And one of our friends was like, oh, I've got this amazing protocol from this awesome doctor. And then he said. It comes back and it was my protocol. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, it's done the rounds. It's definitely done the rounds. But that was a... um. I got to do things like ivermectin and all these things which Melissa couldn't do. And it was a good two days shorter for me. Yes. Um, so I was grateful for that. But we did use a lot of things. I'm just trying to remember. I could tell you exactly what they are. But it was vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, ivermectin. Zinc. Zinc. Um, lemon and grapefruit essential oils in water and sparkling water was really nice. Um Nigella seed oil. Uh, they were the main things, I think, when they're doing. And if you want Nick's protocol, you can um, you can I don't know DM, DM DM me or something. Yeah. Uh, actually, email hello at iamnickbroadhurst.com and we'll get it to you. Okay, so that was the COVID questions. Are we both vegan? That's the next question. Yes, we are both vegan, plant based, whatever you want to call it. However, I feel like vegan. Yeah, like we said before, they wouldn't have leather seats in their car. We do have leather leather seats in our car because we bought our car way before we were plant-based. When we were smashing lamb shoulders. <laughs> um, but I do want to say, guys, there's a great book to read by Seth Godin called The Carbon Almanac. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's a new one from Seth, pretty new. I heard an interview with him on the Rich Roll podcast. Um, which we'll link to as well. And it's interesting. When you stop consuming animal products, you do become much more, well, okay, speaking from my experience, I became much more aware of the environment on a much, much deeper level. And it's so interesting when you see the data, you see the facts. What is the single greatest thing you can do, a single person on this planet of 8 billion people, what's the greatest thing you can do? is to stop eating animal products. That is the single most powerful thing you can do. And let me tell you guys, it's not too late to turn it around environmentally, but we have about 10 years. That that's is, it. That's really scary. When you say 10 years, that's really scary. And I try not to get too activist on you, but I mean, if I don't speak about it, it, do, it doesn't get spoken about enough because we're talking about, we're young parents, we have children who are going to have children, who are going to have children, there ain't going to be a very pleasant version of Earth left for them. Now, I can't stand on some perfect ivory tower because I drive a car that consumes petrol. We're working on that in our new house to have it fully solar-powered, putting energy back in the grid, to have an electric car that actually powers the house at night. We're going to work on all this stuff, right? So we're going to do as much as we can. We compost. We do all the little things that we try to do. We recycle. I did learn that 9% of the plastic that goes in the recycling bins gets recycled. Oh, wow. 9%. Wow. And it was a marketing spin developed by the plastic companies, and it's an absolute joke, and we should not consume plastic. Anyway, the most powerful thing you can do is stop eating animal products. If it's too much of a step for you, all good. Stop eating red meat. 
you don't need it. Is liver from a cow good for you? Yeah, it's nutrient dense. Absolutely. But you don't need it. It's so important that more people start speaking about what do we actually need? Yes, it's a source, but do we need that particular source? Right? There's 1.4 billion cows on the planet. Most of those cows are consumed and the products of the cows are consumed by Westerners. If the rest of the world had the same dietary pattern as America, as Americans, it would take an entire earth just to hold the animals, feed the world. Just think about that. And unfortunately, the rest of the world is wanting to you know, emulate what happens in the West and they're eating more red meat. So can it, can it be good in small doses? Sure. But the point is, we can't continue doing what we're doing. We just can't. Our children are not going to have a planet that is going to be remotely pleasant to live on if we continue doing what we're doing. And it actually starts and stops with us right now. Like people listening to this podcast, go and read The Carbon Almanac because it starts and stops with you, with Melissa, with me. We all have a choice. Now, do we have to all stop consuming animals? No. But if you base your diet on the only proven diet that is shown to extend lifespan, you're looking at somewhere between 90 to 100% based on plants. And this whole ancestral conversation, but we used to do this, we used to do that, it doesn't freaking matter what we used to do, guys. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant because we can live. We've got the choice and the abundance to live on a plant-based diet. That abundance was probably not around back then. We didn't have nuts at you know bulk whole foods. We didn't have 13 kilos of wild blueberries in the freezer like we do, right? We didn't have all this choice and abundance, but we, we have it now. So for me personally, when I have the education on the environment, the education on what is good for our health, and the choice to do it, it's now my moral responsibility to do it. Because I know it. I can't unknow it. Right? So as I'm saying, you don't have to go fully plant-based, but starting to become aware of the impact we're having, the choices we make every day with food is having on the world. Every time we have a cappuccino with milk, where's that milk coming from? How are those cows treated? How much methane are they pumping out every time they burp? Because methane may be about 8% of the greenhouse gases, but it's 84 times stronger than carbon dioxide. So it's the biggest contributor. So cows alone contribute about 30% to greenhouse gases, guys. 30%. Can we all stop supporting the dairy industry and the cow industry? Do you know how much impact that would have on the, f- the future of our children and their children? Is that a bit of a rant? You know what? It's needed. It's needed, guys. It is needed. Gosh. And I just think about our children. I'm like, what? That makes me sad. And we want to have more kids. Everyone's entitled to their own dietary patterns. I get that. Their own preferences. Do we realize what those choices are having? And we did it for 40. I did it for 40 years. So I'm not perfect. But once you know, you can't unknow it. And it's now morally, I'm, I have to have that moral responsibility to make the change. Watch the documentary as well, Eating Our Way to Extinction. It was a big eye-opener for us. And I think we, no one can argue with the fact that we need to eat more fruits and vegetables. Well, people will argue with that, Mm. especially carnivores, but... I mean... The whole thing. We can live 
an incredibly healthy, abundant life. I'm 44. I feel amazing. I feel like I don't look my age. And the science shows we can live an incredibly healthy life on plants, and it is the lowest impact way to live. So what are we waiting for, right? What changes can you make today to start thinking about the future of Mother Earth? And that is reducing our consumption of animals. It doesn't have to happen straight away. But just start Meatless Monday. Then get rid of it for breakfast. And just start easing it out. And if you can move towards 90% plant-based, and what you do with that 10%, it could be whatever you want. That's a huge, huge shift. And I think the stats show we need to get to about 80% reduction in our consumption of, of animal products. Think by 2050. I could be wrong. But 80% reduction. And wow. if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Mm, exactly. It starts with us, guys. What was the question? And the next, well, are we vegans? But the next question is, what is your food philosophy? And I kind of feel like we have covered that. <laughs> but what does nutrition look like for us? And I think we're going to have to pause. Yeah, let's pause on that. And we're going to circle back because that rant just, just took home. Oh, and you can probably hear them upstairs. So we're going to pause this episode and we're going to come back and we're going to continue with this health topic. We've got so much to do with health. We've got parenting, career, purpose, birth, and money in the next episode. So we're going to do a part one and a part two. It's been amazing to have you. I hope you enjoyed that rant from Nick. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Happy 500th episode. Woo! That was a high five. <laughs> we love you guys.